me, 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 but also you. The Pharaoh fast forwards his favorite foreign film, Powder Donut. <clears throat> okay, what's my line? Uh, the only line I see here on the script is get options based on your budget with the name your price tool from Progressive. Oh man, that's a tongue twister, huh? I'm sorry, I'm gonna need a few more minutes. <clears throat> bulbous Walrus, the Bulbous Walrus. The name your price tool, only from Progressive. The owl ran afoul of the comatose Coxswain. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico's. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it. Because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Welcome into DC On Screen, your guide to the DC Universe properties on film and television. I am your host, David C. Robertson, and this, the man who secretly dances like Buffalo Bill to Bananarama, Jason Goss. You better believe it. Hi. <laughs> this is episode 240, our first exclusively DC TV news episode. And we started off with Gotham, who has just cast, or which has just cast, Selena Kyle's mother, Ivana Milicevic, will play Maria Kyle, a woman who seems to have passed on her street smarts to her daughter. She's a drifter who was rarely found in the same place on a regular basis, and she has cultivated multiple identities so that she can get anywhere at a moment's notice. Maria lives on the wrong side of the law, but she does have one quality that is entirely straightforward. Love for her daughter. Despite abandoning Selena to life alone on the streets, yeah, it sounds like love, <laughs> Maria counts her daughter as the only person alive whom she truly loves. The role is recurring. Um, we'll probably see a lot of her. Uh, Ivana Milesovic, I don't know her for much. I remember her from one guest episode on Seinfeld 20 years ago. So. Not a clue on her. Sorry. Um, yeah. Not by name, at least. And Very tall, very leggy. Yeah, fair enough. If I, it, if I saw her, I might have a chance. But oftentimes, you're telling me things in the news, and I got nothing on this one. <laughs> but it does, um, sound, it does sound like a lot of fun to have... Uh, it's a decent profile for her mom. I'll put it that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, she was really good on Seinfeld. That's what I remember her from. So uh, she, w- she was at a tennis club, and Jerry was attracted to her. And this guy who worked there, Milos, mm-hmm. I think his name was, uh, was like, oh, you like... He was, like, obsessed with making Jerry happy. And he was like, oh, you like her. Oh, I'll set it up. And, and it turns out Milos was her husband. She's like, I cannot do this even for Milos. <laughs> It was just real, real weird, but she did a good job, so I'm sure she'll be fine here. So it, it barreled into nonsense, like a Seinfeld episode. <laughs> I refuse to answer that question on the merits of my love for Seinfeld. It's a, it, a tailspin of inanity. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> sure. Uh, Rick Gonzalez posted a, an Instagram or a Twitter. It was a Twitter. Uh, it was a picture uh, he refers to as the superhero committee. It was a picture of Ragman, the Flash, James Bamford, Mr. Terrific, Wild Dog, and Supergirl all together. Um, and at this point, I, I'm okay with James Bamford being considered a superhero <laughs> with as much as he's directed these, these stories. I'll work with him. Yeah. Uh, so, uh... A lot of stuff about the crossover. We're getting closer, yes. obviously, because a whole bunch of stuff's coming out yeah. about that. Still a few weeks. Uh, but, mm. 
it edges closer. Uh, Berlani says they're all going to have their own continuing storylines. It really does. It really does feel like in the middle of the season, a three hour movie. Um, Stephen Amell says that, uh, the hundredth episode, obviously we know the hundredth episode is going to be part of the invasion crossover. Um, but he says it had to be, he says, uh, the team up between the shows was emblematic of what arrow stands for. To me, the 100th episode had to be a crossover. It gives us a chance to do something for the fans that in the normal course of our season, we would never get to do. Uh, Gustin says that the crossover is bigger, uh, than last time. We knew that he says almost everyone interacts with each other at a certain point. They were, uh, talking about, Oh, Mel says it's really cool. We had our individual scenes, but then we had scenes where there were like 20 superheroes in this big airplane hangar and it looked like, and felt like, and I think the fans will feel like this is a big three to four hour movie that we're putting on. Nice. Uh, on how Kara will react to all these other superheroes. I think Kara just wanted to be accepted and be like a part of the cool kids. Benoist said, and I felt the same way. It was so fun to be in this big group setting where everyone, it was like this infectious environment where we all, it felt really cool, but she had good interactions with almost everyone there. Um, Gustin says last year was flash and arrow. And now we have 17 characters in multiple scenes and almost everyone interacts with each other, with every other character at a certain point. So it's huge, huge. Um, they had a lot of conversation about who would, who would win in a fight. Um, Benoist was apparently adamant that Supergirl would, would be the victor. She says she's got heat vision. She flies. Amel was certain that, uh, that green arrow would win. He says, I'll let you destroy each other. And then I'll come in and mop up. (laughs) Berlanti added, you'll see some of that in the crossover. (laughs) That's well done. Everybody involved. Mm -hmm. Well done there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Over to Supergirl news. Um, It looks like they put out a, uh, a synopsis for the November 14th episode. Um, it says the guardian debuts to lend a hand after a parasite alien drains Supergirl of her power. Mon-El considers a less than desirable new career, which then leads him to contemplate his motives. Alex struggles with a new reality. Hmm. I wonder what that new reality could be. <laughs> she may have learned something about herself. Indeed. But James Olsen will become the guardian in that episode. So, so America, <laughs> just sit back and admit to yourselves. You're not going to love everything. <laughs> but some people Super that will be their least favorite kind episode. Of awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't care yeah, how much you, you don't like some of the decisions that are happening. Come on, man. <laughs> it's a charming show. Just deal with it. Yeah. Uh so Kevin Smith gave us an update. He has been filming Supergirl. He put up a, a picture of himself with Melissa Benoist and uh Kyler Lee, and they're all mouth agape and looking excited. And Kevin says, this is what your face always looks like when you're working on Supergirl. I spent yesterday working with Melissa Benoist and Kyler Lee as my favorite siblings on TV, the Danvers sisters. I love all the flying and punching of villains on Supergirl, but I tune in for portrayals of sibling revelry so sincere and supportive that it really makes me feel like I missed out on something in life by not being a girl with a sister. As a huge fan of the show, seeing that dynamic on display both on and off camera yesterday was like drinking insanely good hot cocoa that warms your insides and fills you with joy. And on top of that, yesterday was my first day shooting the super suit. Um, It is as glorious in real life as it looks on the show, and the cape is heavy, not just metaphorically speaking, but also simply weight-wise. Mimi and Kai Kai... (laughs) 
brought the major feels when we were rolling, but between takes, they're both legit funny. It's cool watching them go from goofing around before action is called to delivering dire dialogue about impending universal doom. Nice, nice kids. The whole damn crew is full of nice, talented kids. We shot nearly eight pages yesterday, but managed to wrap 40 minutes early. Tonight is shoot day three of nine, which includes watching the amazing FX and stunt folks on this show flip a speeding car up, up, and away. Nice. <laughs> um... Eric Carrasco, who's a writer on Supergirl this year, he just he just got the job. Uh, talks was talking to Kevin Smith about how he got the writing job. Um, so several days ago, uh, while giving a, uh, a a tour of the DEO set, Kevin Smith was talking to this guy and um, who's actually working on the uh, this tonight's Survivors episode. That's what he worked on that, <laughs> um, and he also worked on the Supergirl Lives episode that kevin is doing um and he he tells the story of how he got the job he says so i'm in the meeting with andrew kreisberg and i go who was in the pod at the end of season one and andrew says who do you think was in the pod and this is the test and i know it's the test (laughs) (laughs) so he puts me on the spot so he puts me on the spot i rattle off a bunch of things can you use green lantern characters can you use sodom yacht uh, can you use this? It could be a Legion thing. And I finish with, or just go the easy route and maybe it's mon <laughs> Yeah, I got I got there the first day and he goes, you get a gold star. That's why we hired you. Was because of the piece of trivia. You figured out what we were going to do with the pod all along. Go the easy route. So he's, he says, my wasted life was not a waste. <laughs> <laughs> now, bear in mind, I've got no problem with mon as the, the final solution to that problem. But, ah. You know, I'm always I'm always going with one crypto. I I think it's funny that him being a writer on the show, which by the way I acknowledge like, is is absolutely stupid that I want crypto in that in that pod. I, just just to put it out there, I, okay. I understand and I know and it's better than Streaky the Super Cat. That's fair. That's entirely fair. <laughs> but I get how stupid I'm being. And uh, good job, good job on him spotting Monel. Yeah, no, like I like that he being even still being a writer on the show. Like he's got to go back and be like admit that his thought was, or you can go the easy route and make it Monel. Right. Like he just called out his entire rider room for going the easy route. Right. <laughs> yeah, we caught that. Yeah, we caught that, Eric. Yeah. So anyway, um, Andy Poon has released more alternate Jesse Quick costume designs as well as stuff for Ragman and Kid Flash and Hour Man. Um, if you're not following that cat on Instagram, I've said it the last couple of weeks probably. Dude's all you need over to the go place. Go check that guy out. He's all over the place, and he does a really good job. He does a really good job. Um, Rick Kosnick was talking to comicbook.com. Um, he wants to play a villain. He wants to come back on The Flash and play a villain. He says, I mean, there's nothing better than playing someone who's a little bit evil and who you've seen where he comes from. I think that's what was exciting about Eddie. We've seen him be so good, and when you see someone turn evil through jealousy, you know, we've all got this bad and evil side. Eddie really just chose to be con- to constantly be good. He always rose above everything, and he never really got jealous. He was such a good man in that sense. From that, to have someone so diabolically evil would be so exciting and so cool to be able to play. Um, they asked if he would ever return to the Flash permanently, and he says, definitely, definitely. I can't say exactly where, but this, that there is definitely a big chance that I could be in this new timeline. You'll just have to wait and see. Oh, mm-hmm. that would that would mess me up. <laughs> Nothing against the actor, and I like I like the fact yeah. that he wants to play an evil guy. I even I even dig his reasoning, but um, 
Mm-hmm. They haven't covered. Have they covered whether Eddie was around in this timeline? They haven't said. So then you have two possibilities, neither of which I would like. Uh, one, he was around and, oh my God, my old love, while I'm trying to make the new love with Barry. Mm-hmm. And two, uh, somebody that she's just preternaturally attac- attracted to, uh, which would be equally boring and actually probably more boring. Mm. Because guy that I've never seen before that I, I love so much because it would really make a story go versus uh guy that at least I've seen before, been engaged to, timeline, blah, 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 blah. Well, maybe she was engaged to him and wound up leaving him because of her feelings for Barry, which triggers his evil nature and he never dies, which is why Eobard Thawne is still around. I think they could still work that in, which would be okay. Womp, womp. I don't know. But then it's only okay for a few episodes, because uh, then it's just, uh, you know, spurned lover. Yeah, sure. Why not? Who gains superpowers, which is like a one-episode arc, honestly. Nah. I mean, you say that, but... Ah, I mean, you can make it more. And uh, you can I'm not trying to minimize. I, I'm not trying to minimize that guy's impact. He was good. He was really good. He was good. Yeah. So, if they did... He was so good, half the time I felt like he should have been Barry Allen. <laughs> no disrespect to Grant Gustin, he just looks the part a lot more. Also, you've you just you've really focused on the blonde hair sometimes. I know, but he was really good. He was really good. <laughs> and he could have pulled off Barry Allen, I think. So, no disrespect to him, I just... they. Um, yeah, no, no. They, hey, you know, uh, no disrespect to Sam Jones, who, uh, who played Pete Ross on Smallville, but the dude that played Whitney on Smallville was totally Pete Ross from the comics. Like, he looked exactly like him and acted like him. He was a dick. (laughs) (laughs) Pete Ross and Clark were kind of dicks back in the day. Yeah. Uh, Let's be fair. Clark's most of the time been a dick in the comics uh, a little bit until he becomes like, he's actually in Metropolis and like Clark is his secret identity. He's like, oh, I'm fumbling in there around now and such a nice Midwestern boy. Young Clark, Superman though. be the dick now. What an asshole. <laughs> in the golden age he was, especially. Um. Even in the movies. Did you see what he did to that one guy's fence? It's $50 worth of damage. Jesus. And at least 45 minutes. <laughs> All right. Um, so the question has been tossed about, and we haven't gotten the answer yet because we're recording this Monday night instead of Tuesday night, but is Earth-19 Harrison Wells evil, a.k.a. HR? Is he evil? Um, we don't know, but Grant Gustin had this to say. Tom Cavanaugh is playing a new version of Wells, which has presented an opportunity for a lot of comedy, more so than in the past, which makes me kind of feel like, like I thought, it's a red herring. I don't know. Maybe he will be evil. Um, <laughs> sure. When asked when when asked when Savitar will show up on the Flash, um, Grant Gustin said it will be very very soon. Berlani added, "He's the god of motion, so Flash is up against his biggest foe yet." So I'm excited for that. I'm excited to sell. I like um, how you phrased that. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm really um, fast. Asked, I'm motion. Oh. <laughs> They asked when we will return, or if we'll return to the original timeline. Um, Gustin said Barry's got a lot of feelings. He's a sensitive guy. He beats himself up, I think, quite a bit. As soon as he starts to realize what the repercussions are, it weighs on him heavily. Berlani says, I'm not sure that we can return to the original timeline, given what we've established. If we're not challenging ourselves and creating new territory and new obstacles for the characters, I think it's less rewarding to watch and probably less rewarding to play. So we like to grow ourselves and grow our characters. Um, I'm not certain I believe that. I think they will go back to the original timeline. I could, I could buy I it. I think as they'll he, find a way. As, as he sold it, I could buy it. 
Um, and the only, I would too, but the only reason I don't is because there was no shot where he w- put his hand up. You're still waiting for to that, Barry last, and said, that don't. last Barry in that iconic moment. Yeah, absolutely. Because until I see Barry Allen. Waving off the person trying to save current, his own mother. Yeah, current Barry Allen being the flash that we're watching, waving off a past Barry Allen. I will not believe it's the final timeline. I just won't. No, and it they may find a way to to get that back in and make it meaningful, but they're also kind of doing a thing this season where, man, it's pretty damn close to the show as we mm-hmm. knew it last season. I mean, we're only a few episodes mm-hmm. in, and Cisco's kind of Cisco again, and Caitlin's got her own mm-hmm. thing going on, but it was something that was supposed to be going on. We hope the whole time, right? So, yeah. And they could easily make the the Caitlyn thing a thing that's been slowly happening. I mean, they could easily they make it could. a thing that in, even in Earth one. Well, actually, actually I take that back. Uh, she passed the the metahuman wristwatch test. She could have faked that. She's smart enough. That's fair. She is. If she saw it coming, but seeing Harrison Wells's technology coming is is difficult. Yeah. This may be a thing where true. like we have her for a minute and then they go back to the previous timeline and she's back to Caitlyn. But remember, they've already set that up with Wally, too, where they're like, well, a lot of people didn't, you know, they still have exhibited powers, but they still could. Yeah. You have this latent uh, made mm-hmm. a skill that might or might not show up, mm-hmm. depending on the whim of our season. Mm-hmm. So talking about the crossover and the 100th episode on Arrow, uh, Stephen Amell says, I do get to punch an alien, but not in the 100th episode of Arrow. <laughs> I just like the fact that he focused on I do get to punch an alien. <laughs> right. Um, as they've said, there's a lot of returning guest stars. There are no flashbacks, apparently. Um, a lot of people are returning in what Amel calls a very unexpected spot at a very, very retrospectively expected time. You're going to get your Tommy. I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to get a little Tommy. I'm gonna, uh, yeah, we're all going to get a little um, Tommy. Uh, Amel does talk about how the 100th episode begins. He says the 100th episode of Arrow begins in a very appropriate way. It begins with Oliver running. We've had him running into the premiere almost every year. We didn't have him running in this year, but we have him running in the 100th episode. He also talks about Dolph Lundgren and Holicity a little bit. He says, uh, Dolph brings a different energy to the show. The first time we meet him, it just feels different, even the way it's shot. Um, he says he's a fan of the uh, 1980s Lundgren action movies. He says uh, he's thrilled to get to fight him on Arrow. He says, I mean, come on, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Um, also talking about Elicity, uh, we haven't really discussed our relationship this season, but Oliver and Felicity discuss a little bit about the relationship and where it is in this week's episode, uh, Berlani says. Uh, no, sorry, that was a Mel. Berlani elaborated, obviously they work together every week, they're very close, I can't imagine anyone that would ever be in either of their lives that would replace the other person. Nice. But I don't, I don't, I don't mean they're going to get together again, so cool your tits. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> um, Oliver is apparently going to be wearing the season one costume again this year. Yeah, I My can't guess figure out where that's going to... Yeah, I mean, it's got to be, I don't think. I can't figure out anywhere else it should go. Yeah, he put up a picture of himself in the old costume with the caption, Hello, old friend. And uh, everyone commented <laughs> saying that they they dug the throwback post, and he goes, "That was last week." <laughs> oh wow! He says, "I have to wear the season one suit this year for reasons I'm not going to disclose." Um, he said that um, when the wardrobe department called him for a fitting, he insisted that his his body hadn't changed since season one, <laughs> and that he would only come in um, if 
Maya Manny, the costume designer, put him in the suit from the season one finale, and he said he, they did, and it fit like a glove. <laughs> um, I do to, believe uh, him, and I the only outside shot I've got, the outside, like, oh, let's just see what happens, is if they do mm-hmm. some sort of weird... Time is changing, and it affects him, and and he sees himself in like several variations, kind of. Maybe, but you know, it's the hundredth episode, so I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. When they say no flashbacks, blah 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 blah. But I'm gonna throw that out there just in case I'm right about a quick look through of his possible timelines and previous ones, and so on. Interesting. So, oh, we're gonna talk about how Diggle is gonna be handling the flashpoint changes. Um specifically how he deals with the fact that uh he has a daughter that's gone now and a then a son that he didn't have before due to barry uh how he'll handle the revelation uh david ramsey says much more compassionately than you might think diggle can't miss everything or sorry can't miss anything he's never had and flashpoint changes history it changes his history directly so he never can really miss baby sarah because he never had her but he is concerned about barry Barry's actions were reckless, and with all that power, being reckless to someone as disciplined as Diggle comes as a shock. I like that. That makes the most yeah. sense. If he had started mourning someone he'd never known, I, I would have been a little perturbed. Mm-hmm. So Wendy Miracle um, <laughs> was asked if uh, Susan Williams from the Green Lantern mythology, who was going to be on Arrow, um, was chosen specifically for her connection to Green Lantern. And Miracle says, one of the fun parts of the show is that you can put these characters in and the Easter eggs and the fans that know this universe so well respond to it on varying levels of excitement and whatnot. But the thing about her character that's so intriguing is that it operates on that level. It also operates because she's someone who's very intrigued by Oliver, who's going to uncover some secrets that Oliver has, which is going to be really fun and is a fun nod to the Green Lantern, who obviously we could never bring on the show. However, it was uh, pointed out that they had said that like they were never going to do aliens or magic or anything. And Wendy Miracle says that is 100% true. I mean, really, season six and on, all bets are off, right? She is <laughs> as practiced a liar as Guggenheim. <laughs> so she's also talking about the crossover. I'll give her points for this. I, it, both of them, really. They'll say things because they don't think they can get away with it. I, I feel like this is the, the narrative when it comes down to it. Mm. They'll say things because surely we'll never get away with that, and then and then you do. And you take advantage mm. of that opportunity. Oh, we'll never be able to actually do this thing. Oh my god, we can do this thing. And of course you do that thing. Absolutely. So she was asked, the big crossover between the CW's four DC TV shows will have aliens and metahumans, but Arrow Season 5 has really been about getting back to basics and street-level violence. How did you balance those two aspects in your approach to the 100th episode? Wendy says, you really nailed the essential question of this episode, and also it's the 100th, and we wanted it to be very nostalgic and very much about the DNA of Arrow, of the show when it started. We feel really lucky. We found a way to balance the fact that we do now live in a world where there are metas and there are aliens. Berlani came up with this brilliant brilliant way of accomplishing that and making it very much a love letter to the fans and to the show. Um, Dominators. I guess. In an earlier interview, you said Arrow would be reinvented, reinvented after season six. What do you envision for the show for the future of the show? Wendy says, I did. I think it's an excellent question. I think that we've closed a chapter here in seasons one through five. 
and it's very much been about Oliver looking back at his legacy and his family and where he's from. Uh, I think season six and onward is going to be him thinking about who he is and where he's going. Where does he go from here? And he has got a whole new team of people now to work with, and I think that will be a big part of it as well. Um, what would you call Oliver's legacy now that he has this whole new team? She says, this idea that really attracted to me uh, to the show was this idea that Oliver Queen speaks for people who have no voice. And I think ultimately, when Oliver looks back at what he's done, that's what his biggest legacy will be, that there are people in the city that don't have a voice and that don't have a, have power and don't have the abilities that the Green Arrow has, and he's their defender. He's the one who speaks for them. Um, on whether or not we're, uh, Oliver's going to get more involved in politics, he's going to grow into being the mayor, and I think the thing that's interesting is we've had Oliver try so many different jobs, CEO, various positions that he's more or less, that he more or less could blow off. I think the thing about being a politician, which really does speak to these ideals and that, that he holds, I think he's going to engage it. And I think he's going to become more intrigued by the power and the possibility of what that role will have for him. Um, Thea is really running the show for Oliver right now. Are we going to see her step back a little? Wendy says she's kind of running the show right now. She might be running it in five years. No, I think Thea has found a place in this that also honors her legacy and speaks to her trying to do something for her whole family. But Oliver is the mayor. He was the one who was elected. Uh, and I think <clears throat> for the first few episodes of the season, he's really enamored with this idea of, oh, well, I could be much more effective as Green Arrow than I can as the mayor. So that's going to change. Huh. Um, <clears throat> on whether or not there are corners of the DC Universe that they haven't touched yet that she would like to... She says, <clears throat> I think so. I'd really like to see some strong female supervillains on the show. I don't know who we would want to get. There's such an embarrassment of riches in that respect in the DCU, but that's something I would definitely love to do. Um, the interviewer says, well, Ruve Adams was a very effective villain. And Wendy says, she was a badass. She was great. I agree. But I'd like to use someone like, I don't know, Poison Ivy, a Batman villain who would be amazing. Someone in that vein. But someone in the Green Arrow universe would be fantastic. We've seen some Batman villains on the show, like Ra's al Ghul. Uh, is there any chance we could get someone from another DC pantheon? And Wendy says, there's always a chance. You know, it's one of those things where if you, the story presents itself, you never know. We really want to ha bring Huntress back. Yeah, I was kind of uh, wondering if they'd do that. And she says they would love to bring... Huntress into Team Arrow. She's fantastic, but again, it's always about whether it's right Already for the direction trained. or whether it's right for the story at that point in the series. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. I'd be completely down for seeing Huntress back. Uh, I just thought that was, that was interesting. That was... Um, that and this. did a good Huntress, frankly. Mm-hmm. And I like a lot of the take that she's got on this. I, him being the, the voice for people who can't do what he can do is, it seems extremely Green Arrow. Mm-hmm. And that interviewer, and for the upcoming thing I'm about to talk about, is uh, Megan Demore, by the way. Mm -hmm. um, some really good questions. It's too mm -hmm. bad Wendy Miracle's a liar. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> sure she's very nice. damn her answers. Right. You know. All right, so... Um, Again, Megan Demore was talking to uh, Paul Blackthorne. Um, Megan says, now that he has a job within Oliver's office, will Quentin be able to get a handle on his drinking? Paul says, oh, I don't know. You'd think he'd want to behave responsibly, being that he's deputy, deputy mayor now, you know? Put the bottle down. Give it a break. But I don't know. Who knows? God knows. We'll see. <laughs> That's fantastic. Actually, that sounds 
that sounds like the internalized answer of an actual alcoholic. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, what would you seems, say is seems totally like this should be in hand, and uh, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Megan says, uh, what would you say his dynamic is with Thea now? that she's done him this huge favor. He says, well, it's interesting because she has this rather strange father situation and I have my desperate daughter situation and there definitely seems to be a bit of role replacement going on in there somewhere. It's interesting because we talked about it in the scenes and neither of us sort of realized. We both felt the characters wouldn't realize that was happening for quite a long time. It's not like, oh, she feels like my daughter. It's quite unspoken. But of course, it does certainly feel like that. It's like, I recognize this feeling, but it's with somebody else. It's been interesting playing on that dynamic with her. Uh, Megan says, now, Quentin does have a living daughter. And he says, she she just doesn't come home too much. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, he never knows going... never knows when he's going to see her. So he's always going to have that, that right. gap in his life. And that's perfect right now. Because they, they've mm-hmm. just reversed roles. It's I like that they're talking about the fact that this might kind of come full circle. Mm-hmm. But... I've I've talked about it before, like where those characters were versus where they were when she offered him that job. Mm-hmm. Just saying she offered him a job is, if if all you'd seen is the first few episodes of season one, you can't believe we're gonna get there. Yeah. Um. So Megan asks Paul, "Are you going to be a part of this hundredth episode?" He says, "Yes." Oh, then you are you going to cross paths with Sarah perchance? He says, "We'll have to wait and see." <laughs> she says, "Quentin has seen some serious shifts in his life." He's seen magic and metahumans and magic. Paul says, no wonder he's drinking. (laughs) (laughs) What is his reaction to the latest alien invasion? Paul says he can never quite get his head around what the hell is going on in this world, flummoxed and bemused as ever. (laughs) There is going to be like him and Diggle that ground us. Yeah. I I want Diggle dropping his fast food and uh, Lance spilling his drink. Yeah. On over to Legends of Tomorrow. Katie Lotz is talking a little bit about becoming the leader. You know, she's Captain Lance now, too. Um, God, she is. I like that. Yeah, I know. Uh, she's she says, doing I pretty think, well, by the way. Yeah. She she says, I think she's, Sarah, has kind of naturally been backseat leader already, but now that it's actually her responsibility, I think she, it's her, it, bleh, I think it's kind of stressful because everything's your fault. She's kind of got to get her act together, which I would, you know, I would assume anyway, but... Um, it has been confirmed. A lot of fans have been talking about this, and I haven't heard anything about it, and I don't know why. But a lot of fans were arguing about whether or not there was a stripe helmet in the background of the time lab. Hmm. And uh, set decorator Matthew Verstig actually revealed that it is, in fact, the the stripe helmet in the in in the time lab of uh, Star and Stripe. So maybe hmm. that'll show up on the show at some point. As far they, as they like, could actually be. seeing that backstory. A setting, like literally doing a set design like that, you have plenty of opportunities to, to Constantine us, I'll call it. Mm-hmm. Not their fault. <laughs> the story was cut short, but, oh my god, all the characters mm-hmm. on those walls? Yeah. So, uh, over to animation news. Justice League Dark, Jason O'Mara did an interview with Ed Gross of EmpireOnline.com, and um, there's some fun bits here. Ed asks, asks him, um, because Jason O'Mara is doing Batman's voice in these movies and he's also playing the director on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> he <laughs> says how do you get through your day torn between Marvel and DC? <laughs> and 
And uh, Jason O'Mara says, it's really not a problem. I mean, the thing is, you know, I've had this DC commitment now for the past couple of years. For me, from my point of view, I go in, I record a Batman movie in one day. I might go back a few months later for another day. Then once it comes out, I'll go and promote it. It's really not a huge commitment in terms of time. Because it's DC and because it's Batman, I, I think some fans think it's kind of amusing that I'm also playing the director on S.H.I.E.L.D. Listen, mm-hmm. the rivalry is a healthy thing, and I think as long as it stays friendly and in the spirit of good fun and people get a kick out of it, then it's great. If you take it too seriously, then that's your problem, essentially. Um, <laughs> I completely stand by him there. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's Batman role, Batman's role in Justice League Dark? He says it's kind of appropriate to me that Batman is still a part of the Justice League Dark story. I think it would be strange if any of the other Justice League characters were involved in putting together this kind of motley crew of dead people and mediums and ghosts and demons and phantoms. Batman should be in the middle of that. He's very skeptical, though. He's very skeptical about magic. It's all nonsense to him. He's the smartest superhero ever, as far as I can make out, and he's smart enough to know he's going to need help with this seemingly unsolvable mystery, these demons, and why some people can see them and some people cannot. That help comes to him through a tip from Deadman, which is that he basically needs to get in touch with John Constantine. Then, once Batman gets Constantine involved, it's really Constantine's movie. Batman is there to sort of hold his fa- hold his hand, if you like. Constantine takes the focus, focus uh, but that's good for Batman. Those are the situations where Batman comes alive. That sounds fantastic. And Ed Gross says when he has a little more distance from everybody else. And Jason says, exactly, a little more distance. I don't think Batman should spend a whole movie yapping, you know? He should choose his words carefully and speak low. Yes. Gravelly. Yeah, the gravelliness. Is that a word? It is now, I guess. <laughs> that distance actually frees Batman up to have a bit of a sense of humor about the whole thing. I guess when you're as dark as Batman, the only way is the other way. He gets the opportunity to be a little lighter this time. Um, it must be fun to... For him, for a character like Batman in these movies, it must be fun for him to watch somebody else start a team. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't distrust the fact that there's magic. He he just would distrust each member's capacity. I, his mm-hmm. his best friend slash greatest colleague is susceptible to magic. Yeah, he understands. It's just you know he's he's gonna want to see it. Well, like, at this like point, this is like New Fifty Two universe. So. If you pull a rabbit out of a hat, it's not gonna cut it. This is still New New 52 universe, though, where Batman hasn't really dealt a lot with magic at this point. He still met Zatanna, and Superman's still susceptible, though, right? Well, yeah, I just don't know if he's had a lot of uh, ability to see Superman be affected by it in this line of movies. Yeah, yeah, man, yeah, man, have enough. I mean, personally, but that should be enough. As far as I know, my, I mean, my Batman, my favorite Batman, no magic to some degree, (laughs) like either, (laughs) you know. They're palling around with, you know, Jason Blood. Right. Um, see, I'll skip around a little bit. Uh, you've voiced Batman a number of times at this point. Do you find there is an opportunity for the character to evolve? Or is he kind of locked into place as to who he is? Um, Jason says, this is the new 52 universe, which is supposed to mean there are 52 parallel realities in the DC multiverse. So clearly, there are all different kinds of Batmans. My Batman is not involved with the Killing Joke, Batman, or the Arkham video game Batman. And there are other versions of Batman. This version of Batman I play, he's a dad. Nightwing has graduated the Batcave and left the mantle for Damien to become Robin. He just put the Justice League together in Justice League War. Uh, now he's got this other team of dark guys. He sent Damien to train with the Teen Titans, almost like a boarding school. That's the Batman that we're exploring in this. It's nice to have a kind of Batman that isn't the I work alone, I'm darkness, I am the night kind of thing. This version of Batman has all of this very specific emotional baggage. I don't think we could ever just ignore any of that. 
If we continue with this Batman, I think we will be continuing to tell stories in that vein. To me, it would be unfair to this Batman to go a different route, because we have Kevin Conroy for that. I mean, that darker kind of standalone Batman is Kevin Conroy to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas I'm kind of the Batman who's got this family baggage. And I see I see his, 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 I see see what he's saying there, because even when Kevin Conroy's Batman in the animated series did slowly grow that family, he became more distant, almost. Yeah, he felt like he had to protect them by distancing himself and challenging them. Mm -hmm. And that's also a Batman that never had a Damien. Yes. Um, And, of course, you look... This is kind of neat, though. It's it's, You're focusing on the the mentor aspect. Like, he didn't focus on the, I have to do everything alone. He he focused on the, I can expand what, like, my mission statement, essentially, by being a mentor. Mm Mm-hmm. So yeah, I I I like Omara's take on that. I, I like that he's the Batman with family baggage. I like that uh, he differentiated between his version and Kevin Conroy's version for that. And that was a neat take. Yeah, did it cogently. That's well done. Mm-hmm. See, Omara, you are the Batman. You made me think about something I never thought about the way <laughs> that you said it. Like like looking back at Batman the animated series on through Justice League and going, oh my god, that's that's he's right. Kevin didn't have a family. <laughs> no, it, Kevin it, was a it sensei. It seems like him with Ace even more poignant because he he mm-hmm. didn't have connections, and then he had a connection, and it was tragic. And yeah, it was uh, it it was a kind of story that when you tell it and and tell it the way they did, it was fantastic. This is another kind of story, and and focusing on it sounds like yeah, he's got a good grip on uh, what to focus on. Mm-hmm. And it's just it, you know, I uh, God, that's good. <laughs> I mean, looking back on it, you know, I mean, obviously there was always that feeling there for me when I when I look back at uh, Return of the Joker and things like that, like saying like, oh, look, look at this. They, you know, he's that uh, distant father figure. He could never quite let them in all the way. But now this, it turns into like a, no, he was looking at this like he was a sensei and mm-hmm. they were looking for a father, but what they got was a sensei. That's pretty, that's pretty dope, man. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so that's all. That's all my news. All the newses? That's all the newses. Oh. For DCTV. All right. Well, I appreciate everyone's listening and you've been properly newsed. You have been, you have, <laughs> you have been newsed real good. Mm-hmm. Newsed quite right. Thank you so much for listening to DC On Screen. You can find every episode at DCOnScreen.com. Uh, we are on Facebook and Twitter at DC On Screen. One word. You can contact the show by email, e- emailing us. I'm going to screw up one word at least. One word at least every time. You can contact the show That's by we love emailing you, us. That's why we love you. You're human. <laughs> we relate to you. Yeah, I'm relatable. Look at how relatable I am. I screw up everything. Look at all of uh-huh. my relatable mistakes. <laughs> Email us at dconscreen at gmail.com or you could you can get with us on Facebook and Twitter if you want to. That's fine. About or DC if you just want to talk to me. all of our mistakes. Yeah. yeah, and you know what? If you, dig, if you dig, if you dig Star Trek or anything else, like some goofy thing, like you know, shit, I don't know. If you want to talk to me about Marvel shit, I don't, hit me up at Twitter, David C. Robertson. Um, We're all I, around. I've been to a whole bunch of stuff, and I got words. I got words. I got things to say about this Brian Fuller stepping down as the showrunner of Star Trek Discovery. I'm, I know. I'm you angry, do, buddy. I know you do. I'm, I'm, I'm angry and relieved, and I don't know how to feel. Yeah. Um. <laughs> anyway, guys, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back with more reviews, recaps, and reviews of this week's news. I mean, of this week's episodes, and then next next week's news. You know what I'm saying? Things. We'll be back. The post uh, news. Until the pre news. The happening news. <laughs>
The news that's been. The news Man, that's old. This is what, the news that will be is, news. This is what happens when I don't write things down. Extra, extra. Listen all about it. <laughs> oh, also, if you uh, if you guys dig Batman the Animated Series, and how could you not? Um, our good friend Matt from the MCU cast, he dude, he gave me the new Batmobile, the deluxe set with the uh, bat signal and the Batman and Robin and just full scale Batmobile. It's really awesome. We put up a video of it. It's on our Facebook. It's on our website uh, as a post. Uh, so you can go check that. We do an unboxing video. Matt and I uh, do an unboxing video for it. Um, see you guys it's, later. It's Keep some DC on your screen. as both a gesture and a thing with him. That that was a, it was is. a fine Very thing. nice. Very nice. But, I, you know, I gush over him in that video so much. It's just, let's just keep it professional here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> in the video, as I'm talking, you can kind of see, like, my little, my eye twitching a little bit because I'm about to cry. I'm like, oh, we got the Batmobile. <laughs> oh, my God. It's, it's the thing. I understand. <laughs> anyway, guys, until next time, keep some DC on your screen. Better Banking is getting an unbelievable 0.99% APR rate on a home equity line of credit from First Commonwealth Bank to turn your bathroom into your, wow, I love this bathroom, bathroom. 0.99% introductory APR for six months that adjusts to a variable rate based on Wall Street Journal prime rate plus or minus a margin with a minimum rate of 2.99% and a maximum rate of 18%. Offer subject to change or withdrawal at any time. Call 1-800-711-2265 for details about credit costs and terms. Equal housing lender, First Commonwealth Bank, member FDIC. Johnsonville Sausage Strips are strips of sausage that look and cook like bacon. They come in amazing flavors like original, maple, or chorizo. Now you can transform your BLT into an SLT or turn your bacon cheeseburger into a chorizo cheeseburger. It's not bacon. It's Johnsonville Sausage Strips, and it's a meaty miracle. Find it by the bacon, even though it's sausage.